Welcome again to another edition of Our Street. I'm Lynn Fisher, and we have Kurt Elder running the technical end of the business here and always coming up with some really good questions. We try, Lynn. Thank you. And so uh, we're pre-recording this edition, so don't call in. If you have any questions, you can always email us and uh, get a hold of us here at the, uh, at the station. Uh, today we have uh, a guest, Allison Formanak. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you very much for having me. Allison, uh, Kurt tells me that you have been doing some interesting things in uh, in your life, uh, uh, having to do with some research. Is that correct? That is correct. Why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about your history? I know before the show you said you're from Syracuse, but tell us how you came from Syracuse to sitting at our desk here today and what you've been doing that's uh, interesting to talk about. All right. Um, so I did come from Syracuse, Nebraska, just down the road here. Went to UNL where I got my bachelor's degree in anthropology and history in 2009. And ever since then, I've been in graduate school at the University of Colorado Boulder. So it's been a number of years, more than I care to think about, that I've been in graduate school. And I am pursuing my doctorate in anthropology. And the area of research that I'm working on is mobile home communities here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Wow, that's really interesting. So how did you end up choosing that as your uh, area of study? Well, the year after I finished my master's degree, so 2011, I took a year off and I was an AmeriCorps VISTA volunteer with Lincoln Public, Lincoln Public Schools federal programs. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, I was working very closely with a number of people at LPS and along with a number of local agencies here in town, we worked on the Lincoln Promise Neighborhoods Initiative. Um, it was an unsuccessful initiative, but it was a really cool project, which would have gotten $30 million to target initiatives from cradle to career in a number of non-contiguous mobile home communities here in the town. So as the resident graduate student, I was tasked with doing some research on manufactured home communities or mobile home communities and found out that there really isn't anything, which is kind of shocking. Now, explain what you mean by there isn't anything of support? Research or? Research, really. Research. No one really has done any research about mobile home communities? Not so much. Um, okay. Maybe one or two people here and there, but when you think about how culturally ubiquitous they are and how many people know about trailer parks and how it's everywhere in pop culture, the fact that there really wasn't any research on it was kind of surprising to yeah, me. A lot of stereotypes, but that's about it, right? Basically. Okay. So I got interested, intrigued, and here I am four or five years later still doing <laughs> the same research. So you're our local expert on, on uh, the culture of mobile home living. Trying to be. Okay. Well, uh, tell us what you've learned. I mean, um, how did you start your research and, you know, tell us how you structured your th thought processes. And I'm going to hijack that question sure. a, a little bit more. If you could uh, go over some of your questions that you had for your research, maybe that would also clarify that question as well. Sure. Okay. Well, some of the basic questions I have just with my dissertation project in general is how does living in a stigmatized form of housing, such as a trailer park or a mobile home, affect resident outcomes in terms of health, political outcomes, social outcomes, legal outcomes, financial outcomes, all these sorts of domains that are really affected just by the fact that you live in a mobile home. And that's been kind of the guiding question of my research. Um, in anthropology, which is the discipline that I'm getting a degree in, it's standard practice for us to live in the communities that we study. So I've been joking with a number of people that I study the strange and exotic people of Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, <laughs> They're everywhere. Oh, 
and that's fantastically wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I just took it as common knowledge, common sense that I would be living in the park for a year. And I definitely did see a lot of interesting things, but for the most part, this is a neighborhood just like any other in the community. Um, the people who live there, they work, they raise their families, they mow their lawns. So it's just like any other neighborhood, but with that added stigma that's so commonly associated with those particular areas. Well, so uh, is there any validity to the, to the idea of the stigma coming out of whatever social economic circumstances people find themselves in? I mean, do people consciously make an effort then to find and seek out that type of a living uh, arrangement because of um, th that's what their budget will allow them? Or is it, are there other factors? I mean, I would assume, like you said, that if it's a uh, basically a, another version of a neighborhood, everybody's doing the same kinds of things that people are living there and, and, and life is fairly normal. Uh, so the stigma comes from, from what exactly? And then, and then is there any truth to the fact that there's, there's something to that stigma, that there's a reason people are living there? Maybe they, uh, you tell me, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to answer questions that I don't know, know the answers to. Well, I think the stigma is certainly coming from media or from television shows. It, you know, it's been around since the 1950s, so that's going back quite a ways. It's hard to generalize, really, to why everyone would choose to live in the mobile home park. By and large, affordable living is the number one reason people want to live in a mobile home. It's much cheaper than living in a conventional home, and you have a lot of the same responsibilities as a conventional homeowner. So if something breaks in your house, you have to fix it. Um, but most of the folks that I've worked with and talked to, they really love having the yard, having a home, not renting like in an apartment situation. And it spans. You have young families just getting started. You have people at retirement age who are looking to downsize. So it really is a pretty diverse neighborhood in terms of different people in different stages of life. Um, so the real reason why the stereotype seems to linger so much is because of the visible layout of the mobile home. If someone sees that, they notice that it's a trailer, and then oftentimes associated with that come with all these pop culture images about what that is supposed to mean. And for the most part, I didn't see a lot of that in my research. Now, there are some instances, of course, but... Um, I say I would say that you would see that in just about any neighborhood, really. Sure. No, <clears throat> I was I was listening to you talk about this, and it's when you say that you're researching researching mobile homes. How how much of your findings can you then extrapolate to other communities or then to other mobile home courts that you didn't you know study and live in? How much of that can you, you know push out, or is it just very site specific? I think there's some generalized knowledge specifically for Lincoln that you could apply based on just simply the way that these communities are laid out. So even though I was renting a home when I was living in the park, most people who live in mobile homes own their home and they rent the land from a property management company. And so a lot of the major issues that homeowners would report to me, I can imagine would be occurring in just about every one of those neighborhoods. Um, some of the parks in town are a bit older than others and almost always across the board, you're going to be seeing some infrastructural breakdown. So a lot of broken water pipes, some septic uh, sewer systems that might be backing up, um, issues with tree roots, you know, you'll see that in 
basically all of the neighborhoods, but again, that's due to age more than anything else. So I think that I have a pretty good understanding of the parks here in Lincoln, um, Nebraska, and I've been doing some research at the national level as well. Interesting. If, if you just joined us here on Our Street, we're having a conversation with Allison Formanac, and she's a, a grad student studying uh, mobile home living here, specifically in Lincoln. And uh, um, Allison, you said that the majority of people living in, in uh, mobile home communities, they own their trailer and then they just rent the, the spot that they're keeping it on, right? I mean, uh, or do people actually own the plots as well? No, they only, in the city of Lincoln, you are prohibited from owning the land underneath your trailer. Okay. So it creates this kind of rock and a hard place situation for owners of mobile homes because they can't have their homes located outside of a park because it's a mobile home. But they can't own the land either. So they, everyone across the board, if you own a mobile home here in the city of Lincoln, you are paying lot rent. Okay. Interesting. No, I know we have some time before our break, so just trying to get some more contextual conversation for our listeners. Uh, we've had conversations, Allison and I have had conversations about this uh, previous, and uh, we had examine maps of how mobile home cores have changed throughout the years in Lincoln, going back from 1930s to now. What were some of the things that you thought were interesting about how mobile home courts have developed and then are now within Lincoln? What do you think? So the first mobile home, you can't even call them mobile home courts. They really were trailer parks, travel trailer parks, cropped up in Lincoln in the 1930s. And most of them were just associated with what really were mobile homes, the travel trailers, people traveling through, something very similar to what we think of RVs today. And so you'd have someone who has some extra land and they would rent those spaces out to people coming through Lincoln. And that's what developed into the local mobile home court industry. The majority of these popped up out in the West O area and out on um, West Cornhusker up to about 33rd to 40th streets. And a lot of those were associated with car dealerships throughout Lincoln's history. So you'd have a car dealership and that would in some cases also translate into having a mobile home industry. And nationally, those two industries didn't break up until the 1960s. Now explain why, why those two are together. Travel trailers really developed alongside the vehicle in the 1920s. So this is the height of mechanization. This is when Fordism and factory work and prefabricating things, factory lines, all of this was taking over at the national level. Pair that with the depression and then the post-war housing crisis. So it was a way of constructing these homes similar to automobiles and their financing was also similar to automobiles. And in fact, to today, if you buy a mobile home, you license it at the DMV. Um, so people would, would uh, as an alternative to buying a, a standard house, they would buy a mobile home uh, from a, a dealer, and this dealer might also be a car dealer, in other words. Yes, in some cases, and that's certainly how the local industry started. And, and then the dealer would say, I'll rent you the place to keep it as well. So they'd have maybe some land. They were on the edges of the city at the time. I'm just trying to think the, the thought process about how that came about. Is, is so, so the car dealer... Uh, the owner of the dealership would would actually provide not only the product, do the financing, and then have a place for them to to keep it. As a general rule, yeah, it was all in-house. And then over the decades, some people really took the mobile home side of the business and established that into many of the parks that you see to today. Just as a curious question, back in 1930, how have the numbers of, of, of mobile home locations, courts, parks, 
How have those numbers changed? Well, they've certainly changed over time. And altogether, I've been able to find records for 76 mobile home parks or trailer parks throughout Lincoln's history. And we have how many now? 18. Wow. And many of those are smaller parks, especially out there on West O. If you blink, you'll miss them when you're driving down the road. There are a few larger parks, however, in town, and we do have the largest mobile home court in Nebraska out here in Lincoln. Gaslight Village? That's correct. Okay. Well, do we need to take a break here, Kurt? Yeah, we take a quick break right now. Let's uh, let's do that, and uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a... Uh, in, an interesting second half of our show coming up, so don't go away. Hey. Welcome back to Our Street. Lynn Fisher here, Kurt Elder, um, standing in the in the background here, finding those great questions and uh, <laughs> helping us with our we conversation today. We're today we're talking with uh, Allison Formanak, and uh, she's studying uh, mobile home parks and kind of especially Lincoln here. And just before the break, we were talking about the the I guess I didn't know it was the largest mobile home park in the state of Nebraska. State of Nebraska, and that's uh, Gaslight Village. Was Gaslight Village. Which was. Now it's called something different. Maple Grove. Maple Grove. Well, I... Rebranding when, when was that? When was that developed? Because I'm kind of thinking, uh, was it in the 50s? 70s. It was all that late, that late in the 70s. Okay. Well, I know it's been around for a long time, and originally it was like kind of the... Uh, as I used to say, the cat's pajamas of uh, of mobile home parks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to need some term clarification need term there. Clarification. <laughs> it was it was the the the, the new and uh, kind of exciting way to uh, to save some money, and uh, so in the 70s, I guess that's how old I am. I thought it was older than older than that, but uh, but yeah, I, I remember a lot of advertising and I think a lot of promotion at that time, and you know, with the clubhouse and a pool. I think they have a pool. They still have a pool, yes. Yeah. And so it was uh, quite the deal. I even have an acquaintance that uh, that lived out there, and they had quite the social um, uh, network, and a lot of people that uh, were young and and uh, decided that was a great you know, lifestyle for them at the time because of the amenities that were offered and the and the savings, the cost savings for for a young couple starting out or anybody. Kurt. So when it comes to that lifestyle idea, uh, then we've talked previously how there's a stigma. That that wasn't the case back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, just as Lynn and you are conversing back and forth. When we look in today's standards and then today's future going forward, is, I'm trying to find a way to say this, are mobile home parks changing that perception? Are they going to stick around another 30 years in Lincoln? Or what are what are some of your thoughts about that? Well, I certainly would hope that at least some iteration of mobile home parks stick around in Lincoln. As a whole, on the national level, mobile homes are the largest source of unsubsidized affordable housing. And very few people who live in communities receive Section 8 or housing vouchers to supplement their housing. So in that sense, they do serve a very vital purpose in providing home ownership opportunities for people at an affordable level. Now, that said, you still have to pay the lot rent, and there is a slightly ambiguous legal relationship with landlords in the mobile home park. Um, Addressing some of the stigma, going back to that, I think a lot of it also comes from the perception that these are mobile homes and that these are, you can hitch them up to the back of a pickup truck and just roll them on out of there. And that is very much not the case. And it hasn't been really probably since the 50s. So I would guess that most of them stay where they are. People buy and sell them where they sit. 
Absolutely. I think I've seen statistics anywhere ranging from 80 to 90% of manufactured homes never move once they've been sited. Yeah, because they put them there, they take the wheels off, they block them up, they insulate the, the underneath, and they hook them up to utilities, and they probably stay there until they're torn down and, and removed. For the most part, yes. Yeah. And yeah. it costs anywhere between one and $5,000 to move a manufactured home. And that's only if you find a place you can move it to. And that's increasingly difficult. So, so for that reason, I suppose that they, they would more likely, if they're deteriorated to the point where they're not livable, they would just, I mean, they're not going to, nobody's going to invest the money to move one. They might try to fix one up perhaps, but not, but not really, uh, it's not going to get sold if it's worth less than $5,000 because that's what it costs to move one if somebody's looking for a used one. Is that kind of your finding? Well, it's really, this is where the weird relationship, I shouldn't maybe call it weird, but the ambiguous... The, uh, dynamic relationship. Yeah, the the interesting relationship between a mobile homeowner and the landowners comes into play because the landowner has the right to tell a mobile homeowner whether or not they can sell their home or if they sell their home, whether or not that home can remain in the park or in the neighborhood. Um, so in a lot of cases with these older homes, you'll see that once the occupants leave that house, then it's removed from the park and it's not reused. It's taken to a landfill. Well, okay. And so who's responsible for moving it or removing it? If the, if somebody, let's say an older person, they pass on and, uh, or somebody just decides to up and move out and they, they leave it there without any, you know, forwarding contacts. Does the mobile home park owner, can they claim rights to that and, and sell it or rent it out? Or do they, in most cases, remove it? It really depends on the condition of the house. Even an older home that's been kept up in very good condition, that might end up being recirculated back into the local market. Um, I think legally, the responsibility for the home, let's say in the instance you were just describing, if the resident passes away, it would be the estate or whoever next of kin would be, that would be the person who is responsible for transporting the home or figuring out what's to be done with it. In most of the cases that I've heard of this, usually a deal is worked out with the landlord because of the prohibitive costs associated with moving it. And they maybe just give the title over to the to the and landowner. Then, yeah, and then they transfer the title over. Very interesting. I, I, I know that there's, I'm a landlord, as most of our listeners know, and and there's a whole different set of laws when it comes to renting a mobile home and that kind of stuff as opposed to an apartment or even renting a house or anything else. So uh, that's the one thing I've been told over the years. I, I've never had any dealings with renting out that kind of property, but it's a different different set of laws than the Landlord-Tenant Act. Is that what you found? That's correct. So the Nebraska Mobile Home Landlord-Tenant Act was put into effect in 1984. And as a landlord, and you know, you're responsible basically for any maintenance, any repairs on your properties, um, you have to fix those. What's different about mobile home communities, the land, it's actually a lot less intensive from a landlord perspective. What they essentially do is they provide the land and the underlying infrastructure, and then everything that is the homeowner's property, so they're the structure sure. of their home. Their improvements to the land. Yep, so if it breaks, you gotta fix it. So it's a pretty sweet deal from a land landlord's perspective <laughs> um, when you are renting out that land. 
Uh, in the past, we've had, oh, what, two or three shows that Kurt and I have done about um, mini homes or these micro homes and that sort of thing. Do you see any uh, trends at all where people are going to bring in, a lot of them are on wheels and they, and they are meant to be moved. Is that something that you think is going to be coming to Lincoln at any time soon? And would they be treated exactly like a regular uh, mobile home? I have no idea if that's going to be coming to Lincoln anytime soon. I think that's up to the political climate. I do think at a national level, we're seeing trends towards smaller, more efficient, more energy efficient, greener, if you will, living. And I think that's part of what's contributed to the overall tiny home craze. I think it's worth noting that manufactured homes, which are more often referred to as mobile homes or trailers, um, modular homes and these tiny homes are all built in the same factory. The modes of transportation is really what's different along with different codes for building. Um, I think in general, with tiny homes, there is a class element to that in that tiny homes are often associated with uh, more affluent residents and they're fetishized, I think, by more affluent um, folks. And they're seen as distinct from mobile homes, which are associated with lower income people and have that stigma attached to them. I think in terms of urban infill, which could include mobile home communities, I think that they might be really useful in that context. Older parks have smaller lots that homes built today won't fit into. Manufactured homes built today are 16 feet wide, 70 feet, 76 feet long, and that's a single wide. Yeah. So I think a tiny home is perfect for fitting into smaller spaces. But hmm. um, overall, I haven't seen any um, move for tiny homes in the existing parks. So in, in the city of Lincoln, within our limits, city limits, are there any provisions for either tiny homes other than in a mobile home park? And on the other hand, these large modular homes that are moved in, you say that are quite large. Uh, is there any provision for those? So a modular home is technically distinct from a manufactured home. They're built in the same factory, as I said, but they're built to a different code. And where a manufactured home is transported on its own chassis and wheels, yeah. so it's self-transportable, a modular home, the it's pieces of it are moved on flatbeds. And so a modular home is permanently affixed to a permanent foundation, foundation. and is treated like real estate. So Lincoln City zoning and ordinances allow for the placement of modular homes. They don't allow for the placement of manufactured homes to a permanent foundation or outside of a, a plot of land designated as a mobile home community. To the best of my knowledge, there have been people interested in tiny homes, but maybe Kurt knows a bit more about this. Well, yeah, yeah, it's some, <clears throat> yeah, I think from our shows, but just in our last five minutes, I want to pivot if that's okay. Sure. So you've done some research, you have lived here, you've done interviews, you know, pre-imposed and, you know, experienced those wonderful people in all sorts of our community. Uh, what are some, since I don't, since I don't know how a full dissertation works here, what are some of your recommendations or what are some of your conclusions that you are, you know, putting some flesh on right now? What are some of your thoughts? Well, I'm still in the pre-pre-pre-writing phase, so we'll, we'll hold off on conclusions, okay. and we'll just talk, let's think of Musings. some policies. Right. Um, the first and foremost, I think, is very important is um, tornado and severe weather safety. It is recommended that mobile home occupants should take shelter in a culvert or a ditch rather than to remain in a mobile home during a severe weather event, such as a tornado. Um, and 
to the best of my knowledge, there are no shelters for mobile home residents in the city of Lincoln. And so getting a plan in place, whether that's a safe room or a shelter within the park or having designated shelters where residents can go to, I think that's really important in a horrible, in a situation such as severe weather could end up saving a lot of lives. Um, outside of that, I think it's just important that these communities, these mobile home communities are more visible, more integrated into the larger community, um, seen as being part of the community, um, addressing those issues of the stigmas associated with. Sure. Some of these stigma is based on income and it is based on just general physical appearance. How much of that physical appearance is the landowner's responsibility and how much of that physical responsibility is then the homeowner's respons- re- responsibility? I mean, if you drive down a street, you know, sometimes the homes, it could be any street, just can't, it doesn't have to be a mobile home park, but you know, if you see a more rundown home, you then have that more negative perception because mobile homes can get run down so much more quickly. Who is more responsible than for, you know, you know I'm trying to find that word, trying to uh, promote the usefulness and need of mobile home parks because they should look nice, but they're not looking nice. And so people aren't always going to go there because they're getting a, a, a further stigma, stigmatized perception. Is any of this making sense? Well, I think, you know, you drive through any of these neighborhoods, you're going to see some homes that are beautiful and yeah. that are very well maintained, pristine lawns. And then right next door, you could have a home that looks like it might be falling apart. And I would never want to suggest that it isn't the responsibility of a homeowner to do everything in their power or capacity to keep their home up as best as they can. One of the more interesting findings I've, I've realized in my research is that there are very few service providers that will work on mobile homes, either due to a perceived stigma that the residents will be unable to pay them or because manufactured homes are built to slightly different standards and so their systems are a bit different. So it can be much more difficult to simply find someone to work on your house. So a lot of the folks who live in mobile homes have gotten pretty good at being craftsmen and women themselves and fixing things up themselves. Also, mobile home residents may not qualify for the same sort of emergency programs that conventional homeowners are able to qualify for simply because their home is not affixed permanently to the land. So why expend the money and the resources on a home that could potentially be removed in 30 days? Do you have any uh, stats on uh, the rates of crime in mobile home parks versus, uh, say, in other areas of town, older neighborhoods versus suburban neighborhoods and we should answer that in probably about a minute (laughs) okay what i can say is that these neighborhoods don't stand out particularly in terms of crime rates they're basically the same as the surrounding neighborhoods in that respect well that's good to know so another stigma that's probably not correct Mm -hmm. and again associated with the supposed transients or the lower income demographic that is associated with mobile home parks themselves and it's not that it's the last option of housing towards perhaps homelessness, but it is a choice housing option for many people. Or it could be a, a first housing option for someone exactly. starting out. Right. So you could be going either direction. It's part of a larger housing mix. I think we're, uh, I think we're there, Lynn. Well, Allison Formanak, thank you very much for coming in and sharing some information and stories with us about mobile home parks and mobile home living. Uh, good luck on your your uh, uh, research and your projects and your your writings. We'd like to maybe, maybe when you've reached some conclusions and you've and you've kind of reached the end of your study, we'd like to have you come back and kind of tell us about what you found uh, at the very end, and uh, and so we can uh, do to inform the public. Right, that 
sounds great. Thanks so much. All right. For Kurt Elder, this is Lynn Fisher. Thanks again for listening to Our Street. Uh, Come back next week for another 30 minutes of interesting conversation.